0: Welcome to The Big Questions, a monthly 10-part series created by International Music Summit, curated by She Said So, and presented in association with pioneer DJ Beatport and the Association for Electronic Music. The series aims to highlight and examine some of the most vital topics in the dance and electronic music industry as we emerge from the pandemic, creating an open dialogue within our community and serving as a catalyst for progressive change. We start the series. On the subject of coexisting with COVID, examining how the electronic music industry can sustainably build and continue to thrive as the world returns to some semblance of normality after 18 months of living with the pandemic. Share your thoughts and join the conversation in the comments section. Uh, The first topic will feature Carl Cox in conversation with Yusuf. Carl has been locked away in Australia for the duration, uh, but he's delivered nearly 20 live streams and hasn't stopped working uh, the entire time. Yusif in the UK stood up for our entire global culture in government and media circles, and then successfully hosted one of the very first government-backed test events in Liverpool the talk is then followed by an analysis from industry experts this chat is designed to then give action points as to how our industry can somehow live with covid
1: so my ideal was for me to keep as sane as possible was to keep sharing the love of music and as you know yourself you you was you came to my shows many times and yeah. and and you know you was always sharing the love telling people <laughs> you need to check out my show it I was always it, funny bro. Because of the, the hip hop and 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 some of the rare groove records, funk, you know, all these tracks i was pulling out, it freaked people out. Because a lot of people only thought I'll just play techno music, and I and I and I DJ I Ibiza. And i was just like, it's a part of it, but a very small <laughs> part. The biggest part of it is the records and the music I'm playing now, and it was great to be able to share that. And 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 even like you know the now generation were also very uh, pleased to understand me a little bit more of who I am and and what got me through a lot of, of the time that I had here in this pandemic and still doing it, actually, is, is based on, you know, me being a human being about, you know, things that I like and, I, you know, and, and, and discover. So my cooking skills, my mm-hmm. uh, vegetable garden, all these sort of stuff. I mean, if I can do this, so can you and you and anyone else that chooses to do it if you, if you don't do it and then that's up to you that's that's a decision that you've made but i've never had the time to do hardly any of this stuff and now that i have time to do this stuff i'm having fun with it in the end of the day just to get me by on a day to day basis i didn't want to sit there and watch netflix and just eat crisps all day um yeah. that for me was not what i wanted to do i kept kept, kept i was kept connected with my family and friends um
2: and
1: and you
3: it was fantastic to to, to to see you, you know, because obviously I know you really, really well. And I've, you know, I've known you for like a long, long time. And you're right, what you described just then, you thrive on energy that's from other people. That's almost like your, your fuel. So I think you're you've been so used to connecting with people on such a, a, you know, effervescent level on every gig that you do. And, you know, I've seen what it's like for you, even walking down the streets. It's hard work. You know, when you get you get, <laughs> do you remember that time when, uh, where was it? It was in Sicily or something. <laughs> when we were walking down, walking down on the beach and where spread that there's Carl Cox. But the point, the, the point is, yeah, you know, during down um the COVID scenario and you doing your um final sets and the cooking and all that and you, you, I, c- I could see it was just to kind of stay um connected to people that you know obviously care about you so it, it was good and I personally like loved it. I think I tuned into the first the first 30 or 40 I didn't miss them I loved it, Every it. I was there you yeah. know um You're but yeah, man, it, yeah it was it was a privilege to listen to them and I think um it was, it was, like you say, it was an education for a lot of people. But, you know, we, we, we the people that care about you, we're, we're, we're thinking of you on a kind of more kind of human level because, you know, being there in lockdown in Melbourne with, I mean, I'm not too sure about how many people could come and see you, of course, like Jumper and a few of your friends were in, in and out and all that. So it must have been quite, quite difficult for you because the one thing I was going to mention during this is the whole pandemic as people have illustrated, was a real leveller, you know, whether you're, you know, whoever up here or down there, everybody became human overnight, normal. And I think mm-hmm. for me, that is in its own weird way, um, a real benefit of this where people just became people again, rather than kind of what they do. We had to just kind of get, get through this kind of almost like war zone scenario and just do what we could to, to, to make, um, make mm-hmm. it, Make ends meet in, in the real world for for some, and then kind of keep our mental health in check for others. You know, so trying to kind of circumnavigate those two things for a lot was um, it was it was serious, still is. Yeah, no, no, hundred
1: percent. And and the thing is, it's um, you know, but I mean, people. A lot of people think it's it's easy for me because I had money. I mean, this pandemic has nothing to do with money whatsoever. It's all to do with uh, love and support for each other that gets us through everything. And, you know, if if, think, if people think that I'm a billionaire, right, DJ, you know, that just has money to squander around on all sorts of things, and I haven't DJed for 18 months, how much money do you think I've lost if that's the case? <laughs> billions, right? <laughs> billions and billions, which is not true. It's not true in, in that sense. I, you know, I, oh, I I'm a self-employed DJ. If I don't work, I don't earn any money so that's it so i have to rein in whatever i was spending in, in before and to make sure that i have enough S- next take to write this out to get back to where we would like to be in the end of the day and you're right it is a leveler for sure you know there's no way that we can go back out and the same way that we that we left it how it was left uh, years ago we have to basically now be mindful of what we do next to get people back on that dance floor and, and to happy to be back on that dark floor, and to make sure that, that people know that that we are working uh, people. We this is what we do as our jobs, as our, as our, in, in our lives, and and that's what really hurt a lot of people because uh, you know he and she, um, and uh, going out there and working, whether you you know in production, whether you're a lighting engineer, whether you you know you, you, you glass cleaning or anything to do with hospitality. It all got basically shut down real real quickly, real hard and real fast. And what was annoying me more than anything was that I was doing um, an interview um, at the BMI uh, in Brighton. And then just before I was doing the interview on the BMI, um, uh, there was, a, and I think you, you obviously, it touched you as well, based on what your reaction was, that, that they said that we were irrelevant you know, in our business, and we need to go and find another job. Yeah. And I'm thinking myself, how can you just think that if, as an individual, a self-employed DJ, you know, started right from the beginning, you know, where I got, you know, ten pounds from a petrol and a couple of beers for my night out, oh, all the
3: possible. <laughs>
1: oh yeah don't forget the fried chicken you know that was the bonus you know what i mean they got the fried chicken and then you work that hard to get to that point in your life and then to be told that you know what you're not going to get back to your your industry anymore because it doesn't exist and you have to find another job i can do another job no doubt about it i i can but why is the government telling me that i have to do it if the Mm -hmm. government as far as i'm concerned with the amount of money that i've paid in taxes they should have been subsidizing the industry in, in in the way that we have been subsidizing with the with the amount of tax that we paid over the years. And 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 you know absolutely. anyone can see that that, you know, we work hard and we pay our taxes. You know, and, and that's everyone across the board. Well, I, I, and for them to just write their hands off it and just to walk away was just incredible. So absolutely. I, you know, that was the thing about what you always doing, what you what you've done with the government, and and to get them to understand that no, we can't
3: walk away from us. It's impossible That's, to do well, that. It it it, it set me around the twist for, 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 for similar reasons because, you know, I've, not just me, um, dedicated my life, and so many people all the way from kind of light and jocks, like you say, sound engineers, small record labels, people have dev- dedicated their lives. But all um, in their own ways, entrepreneurs. They work for themselves, they ask for nothing, they contribute enormously to, to the cultural, economic, and social footprint of, of, the, of the UK. And I, I just put this post out. I mean, I'm sure you read it on, on Instagram. And I was like, I don't like swearing too much, but it was like, fuck this. Um, I'm not having this. And I put this post out saying, look, trying to get people to understand what we what we're about, and I'm gonna really try. Try my best to use my energy, time, contacts, influence, whatever I've got left, because obviously it wasn't mm-hmm. working. The events short, okay. DJing stopped, the record label slowed down to almost like a snail's pace. So I guess I wanted to help people, which, as you know, that's what I, li- I like doing. But also, it was good for to keep my self esteem in some sort of area because you know with when three things that you love and you've worked so hard for for all your, your whole life um, are taken away overnight i had to focus my energy on doing something that was positive for our industry but it was really interesting because mm-hmm. w- w- when you put out that uh, intention so to speak within within a couple of uh, actually within within two weeks of that facebook post i was in touch with local authorities trying to get uh, a round table with the government <clears throat> and then because of what was happening in liverpool because they had the best mass testing uh, in the UK. But for some reason, they were put on tier four unexplainably, inexplicably. Um, It caused a real fuss in the city. And obviously hospitality and uh, a lot of hotels and obviously events and everything were were terrified and justified. So anyway, for some reason, Prince William... Found out, and he decided that he wanted to speak to someone in, in in Liverpool who could who could represent the city and what difficulties that they they were expect, uh, experiencing in the city. So mm-hmm. um, the Lord Lieutenant of the Liverpool Council or something, who's the who's the royal correspondent, decided that I was the man for the job. Um, so within within two weeks, I was having a, a Zoom call with, with Prince William explaining the difficulties, what the industry locally had experienced, uh, and myself with another girl called Natalie, who's a, in the hospitality in Liverpool. And it made a real difference. And it started this almost like crusade that I, that I went on from that point onwards to... Started speaking to speak into, like obviously Prince William, who he really helped, and that opened uh, doors to be able to go on these government roundtables with ministers, and um, to kind of speak up, speak up as being a voice for our industry. And it was one thing after another. So yeah. what happened simultaneously for that, and it probably leads nicely on, as I was kind of saying to the to local authorities in Liverpool, the local council, look guys, surely there's got to be some sort of um, reopening events at some point because, you know, Liverpool has the best mass testing in, in, in the country. Uh, we, we It was incredible, you know, ahead of anywhere else in the UK. Uh, we have an amazing event, uh, a huge infrastructure that we can put on uh, huge events with high ceilings and ventilation. And obviously we have an amazing production company and da, 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 all the dots were aligned. Can we do something locally? And they were like, no, 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 no. It's not, not possible, not possible, not possible. But then, um, when the R-rate dropped between 1 and 500, um, 1 and 500, um, it, um, we got the opportunity to, to do uh, an event in Liverpool and uh, we called it the first dance. <clears throat> and what, the, what it was, it was a government uh, government event, but it wasn't backed by the government, which was interesting. Everyone thought that um, it was paid for by the government, but it wasn't. Rich and I, my business partner, you know, and well, we we got the opportunity to put um, this amazing event on in the city. And it was for six and a half thousand people over two days. And the whole yeah. idea well, about, behind it was for um to be able to kind of prove that our industry can operate within the framework of, of COVID. And and we did we did prove it. It was really successful. There was almost no kind of COVID um cases after after it as well. And it went on to yeah. get um, almost seven billion um engagements around the world it was like the biggest news yeah. story in the world for two days but it was really successful um, yeah. and i'd like to think that it, it kind of helped the rest of the uk move beyond COVID.
1: yeah yeah 100
3: now before you before you
1: carry on you're gonna to have to move your screen because you got, you, you're losing quality oh, really cheers, hard man. yeah that's that's right. better sorry mate yeah but, um, i think it was uh maybe the it's sun, 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 sun in there we go perfect yeah, I mean, the thing is, I, I mean, I was so proud to, to to see that, you know, by what you have done, you know, and based on, you know, we, you know we were obviously speaking with, with each other while, you know, we were sitting in our houses and our rooms playing music and you're sending messages um, to, you know, waking up the government, waking up um, um, the, uh, the local council and showing people that what can be done if, if it's done in a way that that everyone understands I mean the thing if we can get these events going in the way that you that you basically outlined as a template and then that's a road to getting getting back to where we would like to be because obviously people were so happy you know when they were there to know that there's an event that is COVID safe in the pandemic and you can still w- walk away with something of which you have basically uh, uh, have basically championed because in the end of the day it's worth the, the time and the effort to make sure that people understand i mean a lot, i mean i can see there's a lot of work and effort that went behind the scenes so hard but what but but, but, it, but it always is i mean it's you know our our industry has never been easy there's never been a a a, a shortcut to to our successes we've always worked hard but di- but this has made us even more mindful of of, of the power that we have in the end of the day i mean yes i mean as a single voice um we could try and move as, as many mountains as possible but together we can move the earth more almost based on it that together we're stronger mm-hmm. and that's what that's what you proved in the end of the day now i was kind of sad you know because i couldn't you know you, be there.
3: you were top of the list to be invited carl you know, <laughs> i couldn't i couldn't
1: get there you know and i'm i'm going go on go on go on. and i'm watching the boys playing and i had a yeah. tear in my eye you know when the, you know you're playing you know when we're free and and all yeah. that sort of stuff and you know if, if my spirit was there then it was It was there but it was fantastic to see what you what you achieved and and at the end of the day you, know, you need a night, knighthood or something for
3: creating yeah. that event no, man, no look, it in look, that way. Look, like i say just being able to do something that that, that was so. Significant for the industry that I would like clearly love is enough. Mm. You know, I was like, yeah. look, man, that, that 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 is something that um, myself and Richard and Sam and our production guy and Eddie or health and safety go between us. I'm really, really putting it away that it's a team effort. But also with the ravers as well, you know, it was they contributed just as much as any of us by going jumping through the hoops. But one thing I did want to say was, um, even though selling the tickets and organizing the event and getting the lateral flow tests and all that was comparatively speaking, the easy part. Believe it or not, the hard part was every day we had to have this conversation at 4.30 p.m. It was me, Rich, my business partner, Sam, Eddie, health and safety, production, um, the scientists from central governments, the scientists from from Liverpool, the councillors, everybody on the same call every day with today's rules. And today's kind of like, we have to kind of go, this is today, this is what we've got to do, this is what we've got to adhere to. Then the next day, this is today's rules, this what we've got to do. And it was impossible. It was like trying to deal with, trying to hit a moving target on a spinning wheel in the dark every day while trying to do everything else, while also, you know, dealing with a small portion of comparatively speaking, negative like uh covert denies and stuff like that online um it was really you know as it happens it turned out to be a grain of sand on a beach you know it was like yeah. 10 20 000, 8, yeah, yeah. Billion, whatever it was it's irrelevant It's so unpleasant, yeah. you know because i know my intent my intention yeah. intention is to just get through this do something yeah. that was for, for for other people but like you say man it was amazing it was literally there's no doubt about it it was my career highlight no doubt about it at all so
4: yeah
3: what you know so there was that and it was it was just fantastic and like I say hopefully um it's helped in some way to to move us forward through all this and even even from a self-esteem point of view for a lot of people you know like a hope point of view to kind of think okay you know, I got so many messages of like, look, oh, man, you, you know, th- this is the beginning of the end. And I, I, I guess it kind of was. And my first gig back is going to be at midnight tomorrow, believe it or not, in London. W- one minute past midnight to start, which is going to be the oh first my gig. God. Yeah, the first really? gig tomorrow, yeah. And sold out. <laughs> and so uh, I'm not wasting any time. Cole, I do want to ask you one, one question. How how do you feel about going back into venues. And obviously tomorrow I'm gonna be going back with no COVID restrictions, no masks, no lateral flow tests. And I know some clubs up and down the UK are um, implementing implementing them themselves. But Mm. where do do you kind of, how do you feel? Because I'm kind of, I'm I'm trying to trust the the government's um, stance on things. But my, also my kind of feeling is there's so many cases today that we need to tread tread carefully. So, plus, I need to get back to work for for a multiple of reasons like everybody else does. Um, yeah. It's hard because all, all those things considered what you do. It is it's what you do. Uh, I mean, you
1: know, I have... I, I am- a certain amount of uh, events to do here in the UK and I am obviously meeting you at one of them as well she did um which is going yeah exactly to which is yeah. which is fantastic um it's, it's 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 hard isn't it really you know you don't want to walk away from this you don't want to let people down you don't let yourself down you don't want anyone hurt you don't want um, to catch covid you don't want to spread it you know I mean the thing is if you actually have a if you naturally have a the flu or you're sneezing or whatever, and then you wouldn't really go to work. You know, you stay at home and you just go, you look after yourself, and then when you're well enough to go back out, then you do. But then if someone else is out there and they're coughing and sneezing and, and you think that they shouldn't be there, and then do you tell them, do you wear a mask then go, you know, protect yourself? Do you tell them you shouldn't be here, you should, you should go home? Um mm-hmm. Do you think there should have been checked before he came in to, you know, just in case you might have it? Just It's so, it's so full of not sure. I mean, most of the young generation are, are, are hell bent on going, it's not going to happen to me. We should go out and we should enjoy ourselves and we should put this behind us. And I get that. But what I don't get is that there's still cases. We're still in a, in a pandemic and we still there's a virus out there that is still basically making people sick. And, and, and potentially making people die. Now, the thing is, I'm probably, with my demographic of where I stand, of, of, as a someone that's nearly of a certain age, um, I'm twice as old as everyone. And I'm more probably more susceptible to it than most of the people I see on the dance floor. Yeah. So I, I don't want to get it at, at this at particular point in my life. So if I'm not comfortable in the position that I'm going to be in, and then I'm going to wear a mask. Yeah. I, I, you know the clubs or the, ven- or the venues' position of, of, of allowing people to come in without tests whatsoever, um, in some ways, is rolling the dice a little bit because you just don't know who's who, and and you can't we can't say ourselves. I don't have the science to say you've got COVID, you don't have it, you don't have it, you may have it. You know, we, we just don't know, and and I think that in some ways. It's one good way of, of weeding it out and getting to a point where it makes sense. But then, then I think also, if, it all, if all it takes is to have a lateral flow test to know that, that you are clear, you know. i have about to take a lateral flow flow test. Uh, I don't think I see it. She has to go yeah. to Silverstone tomorrow. So that's the first one I've ever taken because it's a requirement for them to understand that if I walk through the door tomorrow, I'm clear of of the virus. For me, that's for me. If that's the case, when we're going into a, a venue and everyone else has had exactly the same thing, then we're going to have a great time. Yes, yeah, it's, yeah. it, it's, it's easy. I don't think that, I don't think that having a jab um, is going to be the, the answer because at the moment, I mean, there's still issues with that. But it does help because if if you have this immune system within yourself and everyone else around you had the same sort of immune system, hey. No worries. Um, I don't think that's a bad thing either. Um, I, I mean, I mean, we can be renegade, and I should, and I think we should be renegade. We should fight for for our rights, and you know, to to be able to do whatever we do. But in some ways, we also have to be mindful of, of the the scenario that we are in at the moment, and not fuel that scenario just because we believe that nothing's going to happen. So, so that that that's my my kind of stance on it i mean i don't want to run away from it and i I want to kind of work within the narrative of, of getting back to where i believe we should be um i mean i i love my position as a dj i work really hard like you have to get to where i am you know i i absolutely love the fact that people are still enjoying who i am as a person who i am as a dj and an artist that that clearly has still Watering my well. People still—they don't want me to go away. They see me as someone that would stand fast, and I don't mind doing that as long as I don't get COVID. (laughs) Because if 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 I get it and I and I keel over, and then then that's another story. And I don't really—and I think I don't deserve to be put in that position if someone's going to be non-mindful to know that they've gone out with with having COVID. They—they want a selfie with me in some ways, and then and then they passed it on. You know, I I still um I, I i you know i've been around quite a few people now over the last couple of months especially in australia and we're shaking hands we can't we, we, we're we're just being normal and i haven't had any cases whatsoever i haven't had any symptoms whatsoever even coming you know back to the uk i've had four i've had four tests and still i've, I've, I've come out of a negative test mm. so and even the one that i just did today and that's still negative so i've been careful with 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 who i meet what i do where i go you know if i, I drove my car today went into a petrol station you know water mask paid for the fuel got back in the car took the mask off drove away that's what it takes you know yeah. half the time and i think it's also good for my 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 uh, self-preservation and also my mental state of mind mm-hmm. because the thing is about it is, I mean, it, if someone doesn't want to wear a mask, that's, that's completely up to you. But I've decided to wear one, so so it protects me from you, even. I might have it, I don't know. And I'm protecting myself from yourself. And that's it. And then get on with your life, because if you revel in all of this, it's going to tie you up in knots. It's going to send you crazy and at the end of the day. And, and we don't want that to happen to anybody at the end of the day. We just want to try and make some sense out of all of this so we can continue in our lives. Uh, in the way that we that we should, and and also I went to go. I went to the shopping mall for the first time. So I went to Brighton, I went to Churchill, Churchill Square. Went in the shopping mall. Everyone's in there wearing masks, but there's a couple of people that wasn't. I'm like, why wouldn't you wear a mask? because no one's saying you should. But so they're a bit renegade and they might have an exemption.
3: But, but maybe because it's so close to like you know, it's like look, man, on Monday we don't have to wear them anymore. And I I, I for the first time when I was in. I was in supermarket before similar thing a couple couple of people and it's like you know in my mind I think it's it's getting so close to that but but yeah man who knows who who knows but we have to just kind of just take each day as it comes and follow our own kind of um you know sense really make our own choices but one thing I was going to mention um is how's Ibiza going to cope with all this because you know there's no no secret about your uh, like affinity with Ibiza and how you feel about it. And obviously, the, we really all hope that clubs would be back this year. And um, obviously, that they are in a tiny little way. But Abith um, was put back on the amber list only yesterday or the day before. So here we are again, going around, go around in circles. I mean, one thing I was going to say as well, uh, earlier on about, about travelling, I'll go back to it now, was even though it's been really hard economically and even mentally, You know, I've I've really tried hard doing exercise and stuff to keep my self esteem up and to make sure I feel fit and I am fit and keep my mind fit. I've really not missed going to the airport (laughs) at all. You know, because, you know, it's like me and you would go two, three times a week, maybe more sometimes. And doing that, I've been doing that for 20 years. And I've not missed that. I, I thought I thought I really was. I, I, I like the idea of sitting there and come to seats, a drinks, traveling to somewhere exciting, but I didn't realise how much it was taking a toll on me. I looked, at, I looked at myself 10, maybe 15 years ago, healthy, look like this. And then I looked at myself just before COVID. And, you know, just feeling kind of a little bit run down, bags under my eyes. And it wasn't because I, I drink lots, I don't, I, I'm healthy and all those things. It's airport after airport after airport after airport yeah. so i don't know yeah. man it's I had a yeah. good part. i mean even you started exercising a, a lot more i know you're doing long walks every day and all those things yeah so i guess traveling to yeah. Ibiza, even yeah.
1: that's too far yeah in, in in many many of my interviews you know they said how comes you know you've survived you know your career and 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 the amount of gigs that i've done all over the world you know I've, I don't know how many times I've traveled around the world. It has to be a million times, you know, on on an airport, uh, on a plane, another airport, another check-in, in uh, another another place to, to be picked up from. And all of that is all cumbersome. I, I, I said that, I've always said that the traveling aspect of the, what we do is, is the thing that's going to kill me. Mm. It's not the, not doing the party or the party itself. Uh, that, that's the bit I love. It's, yeah. it's actually getting, and the thing is, people see it as that we're complaining. Well, people don't realise to do a two-hour set can take two days. Yeah, yeah. To do a two-hour set at, at one country, at one place. And and why it's taken two days to get there? Because you need to get there a the day before just so you can relax and and, and and then kind of like, you know, get over the travel aspect of the event and then try and rest as much as you can because when you're on, you're on. It may be two hours. It could be four hours. The thing is, once you've done the event and then you get back to your hotel room, it's silent I never get to sleep straight away it no. takes a long time for me to really get to sleep And when I do really get a deep sleep I've got to get up to going to, the, to get the flight again to go somewhere else now for me I'm not missing that at all no. uh, you know I I can't I'm just I've, I've done it a few times in Australia and I'm just kind of like I'm just kind of over the fact that it takes so much of my time and energy to be able to be there for for the public to be able to do the event that I that I love to do and and this is where I've kind of started to take a step back and only do the events that make sense to me that I can do you know 100% uh, with my mind and body and soul to give that of that party the best it can be there's no way I want to rock up and feel like crap you know based on my experience of traveling once again and th- this is where now for me where you know what I I yeah 20 years for you it's 30 years for me yeah and and do i need to do it another 10 more years and i mean and that has sent me into you know 70 years old 80 years old I, I can't be the oldest dj on the planet you know still you know flying around the planet it's impossible so but i just if i do turn up at any event it's because i really want to be there and i'm taking my time out to be able to do that wholeheartedly so and i think a lot of djs are also thinking the same. I see um, Sven Vaf was having a, a little trouble, with, you know, being at certain events. Steve Lawler, was also the same. Uh, Locadice the same. You know, traveling out, you know, can't get through the border, uh, you need to get this exemption, all this sort of stuff. It's getting harder and harder for us to travel now, based on where we're at. But we're still trying to do what we're doing within a pandemic. My scenario that I, have in, that I had in Australia, that um, when I went to Perth, I went to Perth to do the parties on that weekend. So I went there two days before the weekend, we re- relaxed, you know, enjoyed where I was. I was, I, I was almost kissing babies and taking selfies also. No mask, no social distancing, nothing. And on a Friday, and then, and then the party was on Saturday and Sunday. And on, and on Friday uh, Friday evening, there were two COVID uh, cases. And they did a snap lockdown for the weekend. Wow. So these parties were organised six months before I went out there to then stay in a hotel for four days and then move all those dates again down the line so I can come back and do them again. So what we did three months later is go back to Perth and then and we went, we went there a week before the event to make sure that I was there but I was coming out of a lockdown scenario in Melbourne to get on that flight to go all the way to Perth to do that event again. And I'm just like, this is absolutely crazy, but right. I did those events. And when I did them, I was quite shattered, three parties in a row. I'm like, oh, my back's killing me, my legs are killing me, uh, but they were really awesome parties. I just haven't done them for a long time. And then once I've done Perth, we're like, okay, now we got some events to do in Sydney, and we, and, uh, um, and then we've got some events to do um, uh, Sydney, and then Adelaide, and Adelaide went to cancel because of COVID, um, Sydney. I, was at, I was, went to Sydney two weeks before the event and then the the, the weekend we were going to do Sydney and then they also cancelled that event as well and then I came back to Melbourne I had five days in Melbourne and I got on a flight to come to England and as soon as I left the, um, uh, Melbourne they, they are now on a five-day lockdown they're going to go there for two weeks and I managed to come eventually get to Australia after being in Australia for 16 months I mean that would send anyone crazy
3: and here I still am
1: Talking to you, good. <laughs> well, yeah,
3: we, we we appreciate you, man. But um I'm, we're just saying we're going to got a few minutes left. But I'll, I'll, you know what yeah. we should do is definitely mention how you feel about Ibiza because obviously it's been a big part of my life, and um, particularly when you and I used to, used to get up early and just sit uh, around the, the table in the villa of Joy and have a chat like this, and it was mm-hmm. just just as much. Of the magic of Ibiza, like playing the gigs and all those things, yeah. just hanging out yeah. and all that. All that smooth, calm downtime is so important to me.
1: Yeah, and yeah. I mean, the thing is, uh, you know, I've been going to Ibiza uh, every year since 1985, and I haven't missed a, a year in Ibiza until the pandemic. And now it's. You know, I I always said to myself, you know, won't be able to get there in 2020. Maybe if things look really well, look good, we maybe bring it back twenty twenty one, and clearly we're not going to see that twenty twenty two. I said maybe that it, things will look better. We, we get a kind of handle on where we are and get people back on the island again, but everything's still 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 very tentative. I mean, I, mean, I miss the island. I miss the people. I miss everything to do with the BBC. It was it was my go to place to feel to feel happy and alive and 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 somewhere where I belonged. You know, uh, can you imagine? You know, having that. Amazing residency at Space for sixteen years, and all the music I've got played, the the the, the adulation, the, you know, the the people coming, the the DJs playing, and the the, the people that I've met through through that just that night alone, is incredible. And now <laughs> to, to never go anywhere near close to that ever again, uh, uh, until maybe one day it may come back in the in the way that it was, is just impossible. And. And that's really a crying shame at the moment because I know there's a, a lot of people on that island are just crying. They just they just can't believe that now it's even harder. The struggle is real of trying to get that place back to where it was. Um, and especially now, you know, we've we've been you know, at one week it was all like, "Yep, yeah, green zone, you can come in enjoy enjoy the sunsets and sunrises." To be then going into an amber amber country now you're going to have to self-isolate
3: there's so many mixed messages i I, I think that's what summarizes this whole COVID scenario and you know i have have to say um have to admit you know working with the local authorities and even getting to speak to a lot of the government ministers and stuff during this whole thing over time i just assumed at the beginning like these guys know what to do and they're not giving me the information but really it was just moving on and they it was just a kind of a, a moving target that they were trying to understand and are trying to understand uh, as it yeah. unfolds. And it, it's its really, really complex for them. But yeah. I have to say that with all those connections that I've made, one, one thing that I'd like to tell you about is I'm working on this almost like legacy project. And because of what you said earlier on, um, where, when COVID struck, our industry was not understood. And that's the one thing that really, really annoyed me more than anything. Mm-hmm. Um, like how can, you know, someone like, say, Liam Howlett go from his bedroom in Essex all the way to headline in Glastonbury and Fuji Rocks and these, you know, skull beats and all that with The Prodigy not be culturally significant? So when I, I spoke to Caroline Dynage, who, who's the Minister for Arts and Culture at DCMS at the government, I just literally used you. I used I used Liam and I used a lot of people to kind of say, "Look, you need to understand," because their understanding of DJ and electronic music was literally Dave Double Decks and the local boozer, mm. not uh, not the whole kind of economic and global cultural f- footprint. So. Because of that, myself and a few others like Maria May, Michael Kill from the NTIA, have been working on this project for like maybe seven months simultaneously now, Where uh, we're, we're going to have this big thick report, which is going to be um, a real detailed look at what's happened within electronic music in England and in the UK for the last 30 years. Uh, both, like I said, culturally, economically, socially. So they can kind of really, really understand what we're, what we're about. You know, we we are the fifth biggest economy in the UK. It's worth billions culturally. um, It's, it's, it should be really um, overly represented and held and nurtured by the, by the, by the government's, but but it just isn't at all. Mm. But that's changing. You know, I had, I had a meeting with them all only only last week uh, to, to kind of explain this again. And it was really interesting at the top of the meeting, they were like, look, because I sent them this big RC email, kind of explaining about you know <laughs> what needs what needs to be done, and they, that mess they, with the <laughs> yeah, well, exactly, and they, they they seem to be getting it a little bit more. So I'm mm-hmm. um in about maybe two less than two months, I'm gonna put out, gonna get this survey done. For, so every single person in electronic music, particularly in the UK, has to fill in yeah. this survey. Well, what? they've contributed to whether it be like a new a new dj or carl cox or or anyone on their history so we're going to extrapolate all this information make it really clear really detailed really engaging you know exciting to read and go to the government (laughs) and slam up the table (laughs) and then make our industry completely legitimized into um a, a cultural art form, which it should have been 30 years ago, because they, they still think, in a lot of ways, it's the repetitive beats, beats act, where we're a bunch of ravers off our heads and fields. Uh, yeah. Don't tell them that we still are, like. <laughs> 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 yeah, but, but, you know, but really, the, the, the reality is, it's a billion pound industry that, that, that looks after hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people. And 750,000 of those people were left for nothing during COVID. So that's not going to happen again. Well, I'm determined for it not to happen again. So, so there's, there's not me, but someone mm. between, between the ravers and the rave and the government, there's got to be someone that speaks both languages to yeah. make sure that, that um, we are kind of embraced and looked after. So mm. that, that's something I've been doing as well as this, the first dance stuff and trying to help people and all that. But it's been, it's been, it's been really interesting, actually.
1: Yeah, no, it's, it's fantastic that you're doing this because, you know, I, I, I mean, I could shout from the rooftops all, all day long, but everyone says, well, you, you know, you worked it out. You're, you're, it's, it's all right for you. And so, so they feel that there's no fight. There was always a fight yeah. for me to get to where I was, you know, and I just basically stayed to where I was because that's the fight for me yeah. to be able to go out and to do this. I mean, can you imagine, you know, back in the day when I started playing um you know school discos and and 21st birthday parties and that sort of stuff and then for me eventually to end up actually playing to 1.8 million people approximate at, at bernie's love parade now and i didn't do it once i did that a few times and it's just phenomenal to be able to go for it and it never got the, the accolades that it should have done or it never got seen as something of well you know people just go oh that, wow that's amazing Oh, tell it's me really- any rock band, any any rock band that's got they that had the attention
3: of that amount of people at any one time. No, I, I totally, I totally agree, Carl. And, and the, the, this has been I've framed it as not my legacy, but I've called it the legacy project in a lot of ways to be able to kind of get them to you know acknowledge that they, they are literally missing a trick, mm. you know, because the the, the amount of um, money that's generated for tourism, for example. Um, ju- just in uh, up and down, up and down the country it's it's actually bananas they they don't really understand what they've got they should nurture and embrace and shelter shelter from the rooftops and they are going to
1: yeah and and, and they should and they should really do it. i mean even for me my my point of view even to this morning i was up an, an hour uh, an hour before the show was on the, today cbbc and i was up i was up basically because a young boy called DJ George, uh, aspires to be a DJ. He aspires to make music as a producer. He's 10 years old and and, they want, and, and what they did was they, they basically made uh, like, a, like, a, like a, a, a making a wish come true for him. And they said, look, you know, this is great that you're on air. We, we heard about your music, George and everything, but you know, to, to, to get it even further, we, we want you to meet, you know, one of the top international DJs of the world. And then they said it's it's you know they gave me the, the intro and it's Carl Cox, you should have seen that boy's face when he came. <laughs> <out>. <laughs> no, really. <laughs> and and this is a kid today, me on CBBC today, and he's written a little bit of music. He's on he was on Apleton, playing making some music with his mum. I just thought this this Incredible. scene will carry on. The legacy of this scene will carry on, and, and and on and on and on as as long as what we do stand. You know fast by what we believe is to be the industry that we are uh have made and created and, and and
3: we are a part of it you know if we but if we, if we don't stand
1: tall we the, the whole thing falls
3: over so i agree but we the, the most important like um cultural thing to happen over the last 30 years by some way but yeah. um but look man you know speaking of dreams come true you know i remember Twenty years ago, almost this month or next month, when uh, I won best bedroom, sorry, best new DJ at the Music Magazine Awards, which yeah. was absolutely absolutely incredible. Um, and you've been my DJ hero leading up to that point, and I think we both had the column in Music Magazine at, at that moment, but I'd never met you. And I was so excited and when my name was called out at the Music Magazine Awards. And anybody knew, but I didn't. And I stood, I stood up and everybody squirted me with champagne. And there's like people a like, beautiful seat on and went, and went up. And when I got to the stage, you were giving me the award. And I was so, <laughs> happy. And so I know how that kid feels. But look, wow, man, fantastic. It, fantastic. It, was, it was a beautiful moment. And I've still got the award. And yeah, I know, I know we've had so many more experiences to, together since and it's been yeah. been amazing and obviously we've got a few more coming up in Liverpool and Newcastle and as always Colin, and you know I know I always kind of give you a big hug one way or another when I see you but thanks for everything man you've been you've been wonderful to me for so long well, you know, you
1: know, this is what's, what's great about this scene and, and this music, you know, it connects us all, all all the way. And But our heart connects us with this music. It's, it's, what, it's the passion of it all. It's what drives us in the end of the day. It's not money that drives it, it's the passion of it. And, you know, if the passion drives the music and then you're going to get the money. I mean, that goes with, with any industry, any business in the world. But the thing is, I, I love it like you love it. At the end of the day, you wouldn't do what you do if you didn't love it. And that's what a lot of people miss the point in some ways. Because the thing is, that's where your energy is. And, yeah. and without it, we, we basically, uh, we, we, you know, we, we'll just fall over without the passion and the love for music. So, yeah. you know, that's the thing about what you've done, which is absolutely amazing that you've really pulled that off with all your heart and soul. And, and I really am proud to know you, you know, at the end of the day, based on what you've had done and created it. And you're still working at it. You know, you're, still, you're not over you's not
3: over yet. Um, by, by long way.
1: Which is by brilliant. So, so I'll, I'll... <laughs> well done, that man.
3: Well, Roxy, man, I think that's that's a great way to end. And like, I just wanted to say, it's been brilliant to chat and I wish we were yeah. having a few beers around the table. <laughs> but we will do, <laughs> good, hopefully. We'll yeah. get there.
1: We'll get yeah. there, mate. We will.
3: Well, look, you know, welcome back to England and uh, I'll see you in Liverpool and Newcastle in a few weeks. Excellent. Thanks,
1: mate. Cheers, well,
3: bro. Bye. Bye.
4: Jump in right with introduction. So hi everyone, uh, my name is Kikilomo. I'm a DJ, presenter, host, and curator, as well as a co-chair for the Association for Electronic Music Working Group on Diversity and Inclusion. Um, and I will be your moderator for today's discussion. So the theme for the first edition of this series, um, the Big Questions, is coexisting with COVID, featuring a candid conversation that everyone has watched between Carl Cox and Yusuf. Um, And joining me for the analysis of this conversation are three industry heavyweights who will be providing their knowledge and experiences in the, in the electronic music industry to help shape this discussion. So first up, we have James Kirkham, Chief Business Officer for the title label Defec- Defected Records. Um, we have Michael Kill, um, who is the CEO of Nighttime Industry Association. Uh, and we have Morgan Dean, who is the head of Lashley Lewis Productions and 508 Events, and the chair of the Reopening Committee for the New York Independent Venue Association. So welcome everyone. Um, just before we kick things off, I think it's important to note that the conversation that we were reviewing, that was between Carl and Yusuf, took place just before the Freedom Day, um, which is when um, all of the clubs reopened in the UK and all of the venues reopened. So some of their points may be a little bit out of date. Um, and another point to note is that you know the typical industry panel discussions generally present opinions but what we really want to hope to get out of this discussion is to get around maybe five key action points from from this um to help further the development of our industry Um, so there's something very actionable and tangible with that so with that in mind i guess let's just jump right in Um, so first up um i wanted to get into the lessons that we've learned from life in lockdown. So in the discussion between Carl and Yusuf, Carl spoke about how he used the time in lockdown without gigs to have more downtime, for example, spending time gardening, cooking, connecting with family and friends. So my first question, um, I actually would want to direct firstly to Michael and then extend to the rest of our um, panelists. Um, How do you feel like the industry can use this moment um, to reset and consider more sustainable? Um, and healthy practices. So, on an individual level and also on an industry level as well.
5: Thanks. Thanks, Kiki. Um, and, and thanks for being on this great panel. I, I, I think the, the interesting part about all of this, and I, I think it was one of my colleagues in Sydney, Australia, um, ironically, when we talked about Carl being over there, uh, turned around to me and, and said, look, we've uh, for the last year and a half, um, the industry, the Uh, the government, uh, many, many of the different sort of um, sectors have worked hard to present opportunities to keep people at home. And, uh, you know, whether it be deliveries, whether it be uh, streaming, whatever it is, we've worked really hard to encompass or try and embody a position where people are able to enjoy our experiences or a level of our experiences within their own homes. Um, and uh, as we start to reopen and industry starts to reopen, particularly for music, we're now trying to re-engage and get people out. One of the biggest things that I think that we have taken from this um, is the fact that um, there is a bigger level of mutual respect b- between the operators and the businesses that are part of our industry and the customers that experience our industry and take an active part. And that goes as far as the music that they listen to, as well as the experiences that they have on a physical uh, platform. So I I think the one thing that I, I think that has been fantastic for us is not only the breathing space, not only the opportunity for people to reassess almost in gaps, although they've been very difficult and under financial pressure. I think it's about reassessing what they are, what their business models are, what they're actually doing, Um, as as an offering um, uh, across all of these different sort of domains and platforms. So um, I I think the industry as a whole has worked now to consider how important the experience is. And I think moving forward, the entrepreneurial spirit that we encompass within our industry is going to absolutely create a boom in uh, 2022 moving forward. And I'm extremely excited because everybody is so focused on you know, trying to develop something phenomenal because they want to be, you know, that they, they they want to to really give back to those people that they've missed. And the same respect to the customers who have actually recognized how important those physical experiences, possibly had that focus on how important social engagement is, how important cultural engagement is, how it affects communities, how it affects uh, you know, the way that you manage your life around work and how an output is so important in terms of well-being and social well-being. Um, I, I just think that the biggest thing that we've taken is not only the sense of community within our own personal domains and industry domains, but also the the level of respect uh, and compassion between the customer and the industry as a whole. And and I think that that needs to make, be maintained, needs to be continued. Uh, the community element within our industry has to be maintained. It's something we've absolutely focused on. And, and James and I know Morgan have been part of sort of my community and we have worked very hard together, but you know, the consumer more than anything has, has just, you know, they, they really understand and starting to get the fact that they have to be an active part in the personal responsibility that we need to harness to be able to move our industry forward so that we can sustain being open and live with COVID as we move forward. So I think there's this real mutual respect piece that we're gonna gather amongst entrepreneurs that wanna deliver something uh, exceptional leaving into 2022, but also the customers that really understand how important social engagement and social wellbeing is moving into 2022 as a collective part of this movement to deliver and be part of these experiences.
4: And and as you as you just touch on social well-being, um, do you think there are any kind of practices, particularly around the themes of mental health and wellness in the music industry, that have typically not been so um, prominent in our discussions um, as an industry as a whole uh, up until recently? Do you think? that um, the response to coronavirus and COVID-19 offers any opportunities to kind of develop those themes and the cut our practices in, in those areas a little bit further as well. And I, I guess that's a question that goes for everyone.
5: I think just, sorry, just to, I, I think the interesting part, the one thing that I've found is look, I, I, I uh, we laugh. I mean, I've got WhatsApp groups coming out of my ears, right? Where I speak to people on a regular basis, right? Up till five, <laughs> six in the morning. And you know, the community, the love within communities, whether they get upset with each other or talk or, you know have their personal opinions has been phenomenal. And, and I think the one thing that resonates amongst this, if someone's feeling down or hasn't spoken for a while, the amount of people that step forward and say have you spoken to you know sarah or have you spoken to john you know is he okay the ring round scenario of our industry has really sort of come alive and 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 i think the the one thing that i would say in terms of social well-being and people you know making sure that everyone is okay is we've, we've got to maintain that we've got to try and keep as close-knit as possible because that level of community is also strengthened our voice and our voice is the difference between us being heard at government level and, and within the public domain. So there's still a lot of work to do, but I, I think that's that's something we've got to cherish, that uh, we've developed and, and harnessed almost in the background without really thinking.
6: I think that part that Michael's just, just kind of mentioned a couple of times I would echo so strongly in that from such adversity, there's been such great creativity, but also this ability to heal those divisions, perhaps that previously existed, to bring people together en masse, to coalesce around things like as simple as electronic music has been such a strong kind of piece and with full of momentum that's affected literally the world, Uh, whether it be, you know, uh, Youssef's kind of comeback, if you like, of the first dance and the billions that it reached. It is a cultural force and phenomenon that has been born out of such extreme circumstances, such, you know, hard times. And I think to to your question as such, there are there are one or two kind of key parts there. You've got the fans themselves and their proximity, if you like, to artists and DJs. That I think now they're no longer at arm's length. The artists and DJs are going to lean in more than they ever have because they had to in this time. So there's a greater proximity, again, born from the moment that will be brilliant value for fans. From an industry perspective, it is that togetherness, the strength of that togetherness no longer just people perhaps sniping or sneering at rival events or promos or clubs or artists or whatever, far more collaborative feel to it all, which is hopefully a brilliant thing. And from the community then that comes out of that, if you think of, if you think on a day-to-day work practices, we're all now going into a far more probably hybrid or ultimately different work environment where because of time spent at home or doing the little things that are important in people's lives, wellness and well-being and mindfulness and healthy practices are far more commonplace for an industry that, let's be honest, we've all known for decades has kind of chewed you up and spits you out. And it's almost like a badge of honor that that exists. But I think that has shifted and changed. And hopefully that's a really good thing.
2: Yeah, this has been a great equalizer, right? I think that um, Yusuf and Carl kind of touched on that in the conversation, you know, in their conversation that everything that's happened has sort of put us all on the same playing field, and you know, there is no like the DJs are up here and promoters are over here, or the promoters are you know and event producers and venues are competing with each other, um, and we've definitely seen that. I mean, I've seen that in just you know working with Michael so much and working so closely, you know, with the folks at AFEM and you know with folks doing really interesting things in um, in the Netherlands and in Germany and. Uh, in Italy, but then also in New York City, and New York State, like all of these really major heavy hitting venues that are normally competing. I'm talking everything from comedy clubs to, you know, dance clubs that are normally competing for, um, you know, for talent who are literally on calls with each other, like helping each other figure out how to fill out their grant applications and sort of sharing best practices. Um, And I I really think that it's sort of a cliche, but, you know, pressure creates diamonds. Right. And I, I like this idea um, that this sort of experience has really bound us together and that I, I do agree, you know, very strongly with you, Michael, um, that, uh, we're sort of emerging from this being a little bit more, um, agile, um, adaptive, and certainly a lot more, um, empathetic for each other. And I, I agree that this has really brought out, especially in this industry, like really the best in everybody. It's been kind of amazing.
4: Totally agree. I think I want to get a little bit deeper into the theme of community that you mentioned and this this pandemic being a leveler, leveler and also start to draw out some of the, the action points that we as, um, as a community in the industry can start to pick up on. So this is this actually this next question is a little bit closer to my heart because um, I have been a part of. I would consider myself the next generation of um artists but also kind of like in the more corporate sense of the music industry as well um and there's been a lot of opportunities missed in the past 18 months because of this coronavirus and a lot of people have seen their careers stop or the the momentum that they were just building starting to stagnate so what do you think we can do to help build up the next generation of artists and grassroots collectives or other people key players in the industry who have missed um 18 months of live opportunities and development. Uh, maybe I'll start with uh you, James.
6: I think one of the big biggest parts of that we noticed is it was interesting early on in the pandemic, or rather as it took hold, it was interesting who was and who wasn't, frankly, um uh putting it out there, who wasn't uh, making stuff. Um we actually saw a very interesting kind of phenomenon in, uh, certainly in the earlier days, whereas arguably the more experienced the people, it's the Carl Coxes of this world who Frankly, have been there, sitting there, done it, are at the peak of their powers, but were put seem seemed perception-wise, who so have been putting in more graft than frankly anyone. Whereas perhaps there were, and this is probably generalising terribly, but there were some examples where others were sort of waiting, sitting it out, and seeing what happened. And I guess the learning from that more than anything is you just got to get on and do. Now, from other parts of the music industry, uh, you know the. The sort of infamous Charlie XCX album that was very much built around social and collaborative and all about craft with your audience and your fan basically out in the back of an Instagram story really it's not like it was costing an awful lot of money. I think there was a lot of good examples like that that did again rise to the fore these kind of lockdown LPs and lockdown music and stuff that basically showed that those who just got on and did and made stuff and put it out there would be the ones actually that rose to the top and this time has elongated longer than we all thought we all thought we were going away for a couple of weeks sitting at home but we're still still having this conversation on zoom in one way shape or form what's important now and i'm sure michael and morgan might speak even more eloquently on this is that those young minds are facilitated and encouraged in the right way with the right level of possibilities and positivity infused in those conversations so what i mean by that is we can't afford for label a to be frankly distant out or or worse, um, you know, ignoring people when it actually is about really curating this next generation and really nurturing them. I was with a, a really top end music producer the other day, days, actually a mate, it was outside of a work capacity and he was just, he was bemoaning the fact that there's A&Rs that he was dealing with who simply aren't replying to this certain records and certain tracks and brilliant young artists, but they're just not getting that time from the brains that they're meant to be to be able to actually teach and tell them and show them the way. And I think more than anything, there needs to be a reset where stuff like that cannot be arrogantly like it used to be sort of 20 years ago now. It needs to be full, leaning in, let's go, let's help. If you're fresh, if you've got ideas, let's get them out on the table, work out how we can bring them to life, send you back and come back again with with what does work from a label perspective or from the musical genre perspective but doing everything that we possibly can to nurture and grow because otherwise there won't be much and it's a very stark you know horrid reality and i i think the opposite frankly i think hopefully the proliferation of digital channels the ease of the democratization creativity the ease with which we can all do and make stuff we just need people to be encouraged to do so to let those barriers not be deep where they can come down to a studio and it pretty easy to put some stuff together and just get it out there and get feedback from audience and be a part of something. So I think we all have a role and a job to play there to bring about that kind of impetus, if you like, to make sure that generation don't don't get starved of our attention.
2: I think from an events, like through an events paradigm, as opposed to, you know, a label paradigm, I would say that, you know, I think... While I certainly agree with you, James, that of course it's important for people to, you know, just do it. I also think that especially younger artists, new generation folks, and even like, you know, people who are just figuring out how to navigate the, you know, how do I go out? What is clubbing actually like? What are sort of the rules of the road here that, um, you know, not everybody, if you're new, knew, knew what to do, right? So Carl knew what to do because he's been doing it for a long time, but I think, you know, younger people didn't, newer people, you know, didn't. And I think you touched on a little bit by saying that, you know, folks who've been around for a little, you know, for a little longer aren't always perhaps as receptive as they should be. Um, But I think that in terms of setting an action step, um, from, again, through an events paradigm here, uh, I think that we have seen that there may be a time where we can't travel and that this industry doesn't necessarily have to be based on, you know, no no offense to our speaker on this panel, on international artists all of the time, right? And, And that there doesn't necessarily have to be so much flying and traveling. And that doesn't mean that there are, that we can't have in-person experiences, but that perhaps one of this, that this is a moment for us to curate local experiences. And I think Yusef spoke to that really beautifully in in terms of like, you know, what was happening in Liverpool and how to create a sort of a really, you know, sort of community-based experience in Liverpool. And I, I think that, Right now, instead of people being like, how can I get the, you know, the, the, you know, the best international DJs into my venue, right? Or as a label, like, how can I figure out how to release, you know, the newest, biggest thing? I think perhaps this is a moment to sort of get a little bit smaller um, and really look at what we have locally, what's available to us locally, and, and from a sustainability standpoint as well. We're probably going to have another lockdown at some point, right? There's probably going to be another pandemic. Something else is going to happen, and if we just go back to this old model of operating on like hyper global tours, um, when we when we lock down again, or if you know a part of the country, a part of the world locks down again, um, we lose that agility that we've developed um, in this time. So I think that sure, you know, maybe you can, maybe Europe is closed, right? But that's cool because, you know, I live in Chile and there's a, there's a sick scene in, in, you know, in Chile. And so there's a great local scene in Chile. We can go be live, be together in our local market. And yes, maybe we stream that or maybe it's a radio show or whatever, but that if we stop focusing on like, how can I put together the gnarliest festival lineup, right? And instead start thinking about like, how can I create a really great, local, solid community and a community base that if something happens, will come back to me afterwards, that a community base that will help us through, you know, something that happens next. Like, this isn't over, right? Like, I know we're feeling all very comfortable now, but, you know, Delta is coming for us, right? So I think that there's definitely a lot of value in in focusing on creating something that that is taking these learnings and then creating something that's really sustainable. And I think that for everybody both to empower young, younger artists coming up and young younger seamsters and empowering, you know, promoters and venue owners and operators, that it's really about focusing on, you know, on on strengthening that local community and, and how to make that happen, you know, and, and be sustainable going forward.
4: Fantastic. Um, I I actually just want to pick up on some points, and then I'm going to ask actually specifically you, Michael, a question and then open up to everyone else. So we've already pulled out a few action points already around how to engage the next generation of artists. So more engaged um, A&R, making resources, both in terms of physical resources like studios or knowledge from industry titans and industry heavyweights more accessible, whether that's through Zoom conversations or whatever, but then also engaging more with local artists um generally we've seen that our industry has been decimated by this and this doesn't even come from just an artist perspective or from a newcomer perspective this comes from like you mentioned from roadies to light technicians to people who are um, facilitating these tours um and i wanted to ask how we can best um support um an industry decimated by this pandemic and i know michael with you what the work that you're doing the nighttime association there's a lot of um talk around government lobbying and kind of like promoting more um, the, the nighttime industry um, on a policy perspective, and this is something that Yusuf also touched upon as well. And um, I'm based in Berlin, and uh, uh, here the clubs are designated cultural institutions, so they have the same benefits as things like opera houses and churches. So yeah, I'd be interested in hearing your perspective based on, on this, how we can support the industry as it kind of gets, itself, gets its legs together and um, tries to build itself up again.
5: Okay, thanks, thanks Dick. I, I, I mean, I agree with uh, pretty much everything everyone said, particularly Morgan, where we're looking. We, we need to focus, um, while it's very difficult to travel, uh, while the, the visa debacle is panning out, we need to focus on domestic talent. Um, we, we notice that talent, whether you're a tech engineer, whether you're a DJ, whether you're a singer, whatever you are, the one thing that I think has is, is been seen here is that the new talent coming in uh, because they're just embarking, they haven't lost as much traction. It's the mid-range talent that feel like they've lost a year and a half of their life, which is where a lot of our focus has been because the investment has already been made. So there, there is a big concern there. The, the bit that I want to draw back to is the two pieces, which is the protection of what we have in terms of institutions across the UK um, and electronic music, and also to really start to just drill down on one of the some of the challenges we have around electronic music and culture and its recognition value, uh, its cultural value within um, the culture department in government and its understanding um, is, is where we, we, we really need to start. Um, I mean, we did a big campaign alongside AFEM um, last year and James and, and, and many were involved in it where we had to fight for electronic music or sound system music to be an active part on the Cultural Recovery Fund. Uh, which we won the government over. They were pushed into a position where they included it and we were allowed the opportunity to apply for a grant to support many of these venues or, uh, you know, electronic music festivals, et cetera, moving forward, which was a great success for us. But the reality is, is uh, when you sit down with ministers who are fundamentally leading the culture department, it is somewhat elitist in the way that they look at things. And contemporary music culture, uh, whatever guise it sits within, is is... Uh, is not represented. For one, there is a misunderstanding of what its value is, uh, particularly around its value around culture uh, and community impact. Um, and we have started quite a big movement alongside AFEM and and, and some on the call and um, and including UCEF, where we are putting together quite a considered package with an under very clear understanding of exactly what electronic music is in terms of value. Um, and, and we talk about economic value at first, which is not an easy feat within our industry that takes you across publishing and uh, the conduit of nightclubs and venues and festivals, et cetera. But also to start digging down into the cultural value, the empowerment, what it actually gives people in terms of education. And then the other thing that's really important is, is that community impact. The fact that kids on a corner can play electronic music through a mobile phone, rap speak you know over the top of it and be creative and the the important part that i find is with electronic music because it's so far reaching and it it allows you know uh, not only kids but you know I, I mean i've got people that have never made it above the line but dj DJed forever in their bedroom and just love it to break loose and it's part of their social well-being to you know perform in front of 10 friends in a room and that's their sort of little caveat with a glass of wine. And that's great to hear because that's really important as well. But I think education wise, if you think where we're drawing from, whether it be funk, rare groove, jazz, you know, and you talk to, uh, you, you see what Carl's talking about in terms of when he switches off and his garden patch. And then he's talking about funk, rare groove, jazz. I'm talking, you know, I'm thinking things like uh, shake and finger pop back in the day when Norman Jay was doing his thing and, you know, I used to live with a funk DJ. So, you know, six o'clock in the morning was Bootsy Collins, all these sort of things. So for me, you know, I, I listened to things like Firelife Life Cypher and all these very different UK hip hop all the way through to US hip hop. So there are so many influences, but when you look at electronic music, it's uh, emphatically such an education platform for particularly, and this is the important thing to understand is for low income families, low-income families who don't possibly have the opportunity to get instruments these kids can do things from their mobile phones and whether drill or grime has born from that that earthy grassroots position or developed them into something which is uh, a little bit more in terms of electronico is it's just really really key and important so the work that we're doing at the moment in terms of substantiating that position is vital Uh, And it's something that we'll push on and, you know, we will share and want everyone to be an active party. The bigger piece is exactly what's happening in Berlin, which is protecting these spaces, these conduits, these important sort of platforms for people to perform. Um, And we are currently working very hard with uh, barristers on uh, the new planning bill. Uh, to to put in something which is gonna look for an amendment in the planning bill, but also within that will allow us the opportunity to gain a concession at the national planning framework. Within that national planning framework, we have the opportunity to implement agent of change, but also on top of that, then put a protection against heritage buildings in place, which will include nightclubs. So for us, we're already working hard on that. We've seen the platform that, that uh, has worked on in Berlin. We've got a slightly different mechanism. We're slightly further down the line in terms of planning, but we're excited at the fact that it's been uh, listened to. It's been part of conversations in the House of Commons. And you know, in terms of protecting our contemporary music heritage, this is going to be a big part of it. An agent of change is going to protect that in more than one way. So uh, we're very excited, both not only with regard to the census and the research we're doing in terms of value across all of those pieces, but also to be working with key politicians to try and drive a protection position and a mechanism which is putting... The construction or the infrastructure around protecting those positions within inner cities as residential spaces become more apparent is, you know, is is well on its way to being a, a part of things for the future. So in terms of protection, in terms of education, we've got a big job to do. And there's a lot of things that we need to do reputationally uh, that we've fallen short of and probably fallen foul of in terms of government's policy during this pandemic
2: gaze so longingly like across the Atlantic sometimes because we literally in, in a lot of our initiatives had to remove the term nightlife from our initiatives in order to get Um, in order to get attention and in order for governments and and municipalities to be able to engage with us. Um, There isn't anywhere that's willing to say like, we're working with nightlife, right? Like people aren't willing to say that. We have to say things like independent venues, right? We have to say things um, like event spaces. Uh, And even a very early iteration of a project we worked on um, that was sort of like a guide for venues had nightlife in the title um, and we ended up having to change it because uh, we weren't getting, you know, people weren't engaging with us when we thought of when nightlife is not considered, um, you know, culturally significant in the United States um, by the powers that be. And certainly electronic music is is not taken, um, you know, is not taken seriously here. So I I, I so love go ahead. the work Michael's team are doing right, Morgan, like other than the naming and language
6: point it's the same problem and, th- and yeah, no, right. absolutely yeah i have this strange it's like a dichotomy to keep this question of there's one side which is macro which is you know my i'm sitting here in london like michael is and our esteemed government of just slash 50 percent of arts and culture full stop full weight which will trickle down very rapidly and swiftly into electronic music bearing in mind what's just been happening that's an additional just new color. Like, it's so anger inducing and problematic on such a massive scale. And thank God people like Michael and the team exist to be able to then fight in a smart, civilized, structured and intelligent fashion in the way that he's just described that, that can perhaps readdress that balance. The duality exists though, of course, where i guess another part of kiki's question is very young minds as we all know know no different very young minds only deal with the tools that are in front of them or the ingredients that are in front of them they literally just take what they have on their plates at that moment and then start going with it and my sort of hope and slightly more optimistic version of James is you've always got to give credit and empower those very brilliant young minds who will find their creative to how they might. Now, musical genres exist, but they all start normally with a moment of rebellion in the first place, be it the punk scene from 70s Britain or the rave era from the, you know, the generation crew of kind of the, the poll tax and all of that here in 80s England. Again, like I, I have a big belief in the power of the problem and maybe what's going to be coming out of it. But unfortunately, you can't predict that, and we need to do everything we possibly can to make sure it can flourish and we can facilitate it. Because, yeah, if it wasn't for Michael and his gang at the moment, I have no idea where we'd be. (laughs) (laughs) Just just
5: interestingly enough, just to add to that, one of the big things that's come off the back of the pressure we've put on in terms of electronic music, its value, its representation is the arts of the Arts Council now talking to us openly about creating some funding directly relevant to electronic music to support up and coming artists, projects, education, apprenticeships, et cetera. So, you know, that that government pressure has made a big, big difference. And, you know, we've got a long way to go. We've got some education pieces that we really need to nail down with these people. But it starts with what's the economic value, what's the input, then we can build from there. Because once they understand the immense position i mean just to give you very clear understand 46 billion the nighttime economy culture value is in annual turnover uh, in terms of figures that's that's just released yesterday i mean that's an immense figure for the uk so uh, it's nothing to be frowned at that includes live on on all platforms but it's a huge figure that they can't ignore
4: mm, I, I just want to really reiterate the points that you just made there so really engaging government and also your local communities to kind of build the cultural recognition of electronic music by using facts by using numbers specifically if it's around economic numbers, money talks and then also using testimonies so for, for example looking at some of the low income families or the other people whose lives have been changed by the impact of electronic music I know that for example in Berlin they really focus on the tourism that's brought in I think Yusuf also touched on that in his, in his um, commentary as well, wow. really looking at that and seeing how that can benefit the local economy and building around that instead of demonising that um, And I, I think we've just got about maybe just over five minutes before the end and I, I want to jump into one of the points that james talked about which is innovation engaging kind of you mentioned james about you know this younger community and kind of building on using rebellious moments to um to kind of develop um the scene whether that's new genres new events um we've seen this massive rise in streaming so we've looked at carl Carl mentioned a lot of his streams that he did over lockdown um what were your experiences particularly with defective with um streaming and I, i then generally open up to both morgan and michael um where do you think the innovation can go like how can we keep on innovating on this and building and engaging
6: digital audiences during lockdown Um, Well, I'll try and keep it brief because I understand the pressure of time. I'm going to start at the end part of the question. I personally think it is creative carnage and chaos at the moment being the best possible way. I think there is a whole bunch of stuff that I'm continually going, I wish I'd done that. I really love that. Whether it be Travis Scott in Fortnite, whether it be, I mean, I'm talking all over the musical spectrum, whether it be Dua Lipa's first choreography on Zoom, all sorts of stuff from all sorts of different places are brilliant. And that is a really, really good thing. No one's nailing it fully. No one knows exactly how it's going to end up. No one knows on what platform. And that generally is a sign of a very good thing because from that kind of soup, (laughs) that elegant mess normally becomes some brilliant kind of ideas. Our point uh, where we did a virtual festival right at the start of the pandemic that then ran for a period of time and raised an awful lot of money for COVID reliefs and stuff like that was less a point of rebellion that some of the young people will be showing in, in, in their brilliant innovations and the natural way that they do stuff. It was much more about all we could do at that moment to bring people together. So it felt like us. It was just our own necessity as a brand because we happened to make quite soulful house music as a as our sort of stock in trade, if you like. And it was like, we can bring people together in a time where people felt isolated. It had an element of innovation because it was done concurrently on a bunch of different social platforms, but it's just about to get to as many people as we possibly could. And it's been kind of a, a format that's worked well ever since and mimicked and changed. But I believe it's gonna it's going to take us to really good places like, my biggest thing around all of it, I think I mentioned right at the start, is still about sort of proximity to artists, pillars of live events. If you can't go to that live festival uh, or your friends can't go, you could perhaps give them virtual passes or you can do the equivalent of a sign-in tent, but it's actually on Zoom. Or There's so much to come out of this and is coming out of it still. a little moments of tech innovation that brings fans closer to the music or the artist or the DJ. And they're going to stay for sure, because that's a really good thing. That's added value for everyone, probably gets more from an artist perspective, definitely get more out of it from a fan. So I think hopefully that's a really positive thing.
2: I like the way that it sort of introduces an an element of accessibility, right? Especially if you're, and to go back to your point as well, Michael, about sort of, you know, lower income populations, you know, it's expensive to go to a club, it's expensive to go to a festival, and it's certainly expensive to travel um, to a different country, to go to an event, uh, you know, uh, you know, and I think especially about creating more access to, to music for the global south um, and what, you know, sort of the opportunities that streaming brings to that. And I think for, you know, us older fogies, we can have this experience of like, you know, it's not a real experience if you're not on a dance floor, right? It's all about the dance floor. Like, that's important. And, you know, I found a lot of purists in the last, you know, 15, 16 months who want to, you know, insist upon that. But what I would say is that young people don't have this same Don't create the same bifurcation between like real life and like virtual life, which I know is really hard for us to understand sometimes, but you know, I was speaking to an artist who did a, you know, a, a fortnight, one of these fortnight events. And I very early on, and I said, you know, what sort of response did you get from, from fans? You know, what did, did kids like it? What did they say? And the amount of people who were like, this is my first concert ever. And yeah. that for, for young people that it really was an experience of, Like I have been to a concert, I have had a real experience. And I think that as tired as we can be, you know, sitting in front of Zooms and of watching streams, I think we probably need to be a little bit less snotty about the fact that, like, virtual events and streaming events aren't real events. I think, like, if you grew up on, you know, a grimy dance floor before the age of, you know, cell phones, it can feel like that. But there's a whole new generation of people who don't have that as a frame of reference at all. And what's being created now and what's being offered to them in the world of streaming and in the world of creating virtual events feels completely valid and fulfilling. And yes, of course, it's important to be in physical space together, but we're an entire generation, you know, Generation X does not have that same attachment to physical connection necessarily. Um, And so I think that I think that while everybody's you know rushing to figure out how we can get back together, I, I think remembering that there is actually a lot of value in streaming and in virtual experiences um, is really yeah. important. There's also a huge market for it.
6: That's how mm. musical moment is delivered. Like Carl Cox's Cabin Fever Sessions. Remember, on a platform like YouTube, for example, they come up or served up in a YouTube tray where the audience famously now let the algorithm do the rest. So they're ultimately just getting served up beautiful, for free, lovely bits of incredible sets of music, learning about amazing house music or whatever lovely eclectic stuff that he's been playing as he was detailing, that's a great thing. It doesn't mean they're having to replace another experience. That's just their consumption of their music from a brilliant artist, which, again, has to be a good thing.
5: It's, it's interesting just to feed in. I mean, listen, this whole streaming thing has borne the, the likes of the prominence of NFTs. You've got VAAR that uh, is two-way streaming where you've got VR experiences coming off the back of it there are always I think during the pandemic there's been a real challenge with monetization for many people as, a, as an option um, but I, I have spoken to a few people internationally that are looking at utilizing the streaming to have a physical experience and a multi-room stream experience which can take on different genres with a uh, and, and just having that uh, if you can imagine a building all encompassed with a physical experience and then multiple streaming experiences and education and almost it's I mean it's exciting but that's a future-proof moment, you know? So I think uh, there's some interesting things to come for the future. I'm sure we haven't heard the end of it, but uh, as you know, honeymoon period will come with a physical experience. And then we'll see once people have sort of settled over the coming years, but I think it's going to take a while for people to really just, uh, you know, grasp and not let go of everything physical that they've not been able to hear, see, touch or experience.
2: Well, and Carl and you have said that a little bit about like, it's we're okay about the fact that we're not constantly traveling and constantly flying, you know, and artists who are traveling 250 days a year, 300 days a year, like that's bananas. And yeah. we need to stop doing it. <laughs> and it's not healthy and it's not sustainable and creating more uh, outlets and resources and opportunities to not have to have this grueling, crushing touring schedule. Um, And frankly, also for, you know, kids to not go out 800 days in a row, you know, on the piss can't be a bad thing either. So I, I think that a lot, yes, there's gonna be a honeymoon period where everybody's like, we get to go back to shows, but at the end of the day, like, it's kind of nice to not have to, you know, schlep home at four o'clock in the morning and try to find a cab.
4: Mm, I just want to, I just want to, jump in there and maybe summarize okay so we've spoken about being more open-minded to digital experiences and maybe just to wrap up the conversation so i i sit on the cusp of like millennial and gen z um i was like a mid to late nah i can't even claim mid mid 90s baby (laughs) um and i mean you know we have these conversations about digital experiences but there are a lot of people longing to be on the dance floor me for one i want to feel the warm hug of a sub bass rattle my chest i don't want anything more than that you know so Maybe just to summarize from each of our panelists, like in one or two sentences or a bullet point or two, what do you think we can do as we're all rushing to get back on the dance floor, dance, share sweat, hugs and kisses with everyone in the nightlife industry? What do you think we can do to develop kind of sustainable and healthy and responsible practices with all of the things that we've just discussed in mind? Um, to ensure that the dance floors can stay safe once again. So Yusuf already mentioned these test events. Um, what what else do you think we can do as as industry um, leaders?
6: I'll start because Michael going to be far better than Morgan, I think. But Kiki, I, I agree that the quote I always use from Honey Dijon is dance floors unite people in a way that governments and religions never could. And I love that quote. So we feel exactly the same. And right now on this very immediate short term, we would there be overly precautious in every way we possibly can to ensure that frankly, we can't be teed up for a fall that this wonderful, incredible industry that we're very fortunate to be a part of is allowed to be, well, not just survive, but thrive. And everything that we do, and you would have seen through these last few weeks, everything, so many from circus, the little gay brother, amazing levels of detail about how to imply and enforce safe, healthy clubbing for all and i think that's a brilliant thing and then you know maybe it'll dial down over time but right now it's like let's not make any mistakes let's do everything that's in our power within reasons to get people there as quickly as possible
2: yeah i think we really have to just you know continue communicating with folks explaining why it's important to you know to follow the rules and to be cautious um and that that and that again, it's all about sustainability, right? So if we, you know, if we blow the bloody doors off right now, (laughs) um, then, you know, we're gonna find ourselves in a tricky situation. We may find ourselves in a tricky situation in a few months. So it's better to take some smaller, more incremental conservative steps, Focus on testing, um, you know, and 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 communicate that with punters, right? Like, really explain to patrons, you know, why it's important that we do this. Explain to each other why it's important, and you know, I think Carl touched on this. Be really respectful of other people's boundaries. I know that this year has taught me so much about the differences um, in people's comfort levels and where people's boundaries are, and their physical boundaries and their emotional boundaries. Um, and you know, if if people want to wear masks, let them wear masks, right? If people want to be vaccinated, you know, if people should be vaccinated, absolutely get vaccinated. Somebody doesn't want to be vaccinated, I think you're dumb, but you know, that's your right as a you know, as an individual. Um, so I, I think that going forward, really focusing on these incremental steps, staying extremely, extremely kind, um, continuing to communicate um as much as possible really honestly about what our values as an industry are what our individual boundaries as different event goers producers promoters operators um and realizing that not all those things will be the same but that we do need to operate within a certain realm of caution in order to be able to to stay open in some capacity and also so that people don't die which is nice
5: all right kk I, I, I just wanted to just say one statement, and it's from a 19-year-old young lady who that I spoke to, uh, uh, literally in the last few days, uh, about uh, something around personal responsibility. And and the phrase resonates with me. She just said, "Take personal responsibility for the culture you are blessed with." All right, and and I think that resonates with everybody because whether you're a club manager, whether you're a artist, whether you're a DJ. The government have a bigger problem with the way people behave and the way you manage yourself. So if you take personal responsibility and understand how blessed you are to have contemporary culture, music culture in your life, then you'll protect it and you'll look after it ever so much more. Uh, And I think that's very resonating for a young lady of that age to come forward with that. And and I'll keep that with me as I move forward. But I think it's something that really, really sort of just sets the tone for how we've got to move forward and protect each other, protect ourselves and be responsible in the way that we move forward so that we can sustain this amazing industry.
4: Fantastic. Really, really, really powerful quote. And I think that's a really fantastic way to to end the discussion and the analysis. So I want to say thank you to our panelists, James, Morgan, and Michael for lending your ear, your experiences, and your knowledge to this salient conversation. Um, Thank you to everyone who's tuned in to the very first edition of The Big Questions for the International Music Summit. Um, And yeah, I hope you enjoyed. Um, Stay safe, stay sane. Um, And yeah, until the next time. Thank you.
0: Thank you. you. Thanks for tuning in to the Big Questions created by International Music Summit. Uh, curated in partnership with She Said So and presented in association with Pioneer DJ Beatport and the Association for Electronic Music. We want to know which industry leaders and artists you want to hear from. Visit IMS's website to see the full list of topics and nominate your speaker choices. Uh, Please tune in next month where industry leaders will be discussing the environment and sustainability in dance and electronic music. Uh, Follow IMS on social media for the latest updates